So I was pregnant twice, you know, as a priest in congregations, and that just kind of messes up all sorts of uh, gendered space when you're like pumping in your office, <laughs> and then you're taking a pastoral call. Yeah, you know the drill. Hello, my name is Mother Liz Costello, and I'm an Episcopal priest. Shalom, my name is Yvette Lutman, and I am a Reconstructionist rabbi. Hey everybody, I'm Reverend Dr. Jenny Morgan. I'm a co-pastor at Highlands Church. Welcome to Holy Highball, where four-letter words become prayers, and the drinks are close to godliness. Mother Liz, how old were you when you were ordained? So my diaconal ordination was 2014, and then I became a priest in 2015. So you are first ordained as a deacon, you can wait six months to a year, and then you become a priest. Well, I'm 62 now, I've done that 11 years. I was 51, I was 51. Yeah, since 2014, so I was 52 when I got ordained. 2014. What's one of the worst things someone has ever said or done to you as an ordained woman. Could you clarify that question like related to my sex and gender? Um, related to your role as a woman in faith leadership, pastoring a priest over your parsonage. Well, I can think of a few things that come to mind. Before I was ordained, I worked in the church. So I've worked in the church since 2009 and I worked in North Carolina in a very conservative town. Uh, with very conservative gender roles, uh, which you find in North Carolina, not completely, but in some pockets. I was in my 20s, I had long hair, and I decided I would cut it because I kept on getting comments about my appearance. So I cut it off and I um, cut my hair in a pixie haircut, thinking maybe I'd get less comments about my appearance. They were compliments, but they weren't welcome. The day mm. after I cut my hair off, a six-year-old man looked at me and he said, you're foxy. You know, I laugh at it now because you get angry or you cry or you, a mix. That was probably one of the first lessons that I learned about embodying my sex and gender, how I was coming across. I wasn't dressed, you know, I was wearing like these clothes. <laughs> and, and yet still, women's bodies can be sexualized. And I was being sexualized even in my role in the church. So it's more to the point of being physically threatened. That took place in, it's been more gentle back here in the United States from the Orthodox rabbi. It came in the form of, I'm sorry that I didn't invite you to this special prayer session that we had. Only men count for a certain, for a minion, which is 10. But that came in the form of an apology and the person had done some reflection and said, you know, I could have still invited you. You would have sat on the other side. But the physical threatening came several times for me in, um, Israel, and that is by way of wearing a kippah, which clearly identifies you as a observant Jew. I had taxi driver drive me down a um, wooded area that was dark, lock the doors, and turn around and said, why are you wearing a kippah? It's forbidden for women to wear men's clothing from Leviticus. At first, I explained that I was studying to be a rabbi and learned not to do that. That was a bad thing to disclose. I tried to come up with something that seemed like it would make sense to them. And I said, I study holy texts. Good thing. I study holy texts, and that's why I keep my head covered. 
Pastor Jenny, what about you? What has been one of the worst things someone has ever said or done to you as an ordained woman? You know, in my current role, uh, nothing has ever been said to me. We're a church that has always affirmed female leadership at every level, and we've always affirmed LGBTQ leadership at every level. So half of our community probably identifies as LGBTQ and half as straight. Honestly, in my role now, and I've been there 11, going on 12 years, I can't think of anything. And prior to that, though, were you in the faith community? Prior to that, I was serving in a distinctly evangelical organization where women in leadership was not prohibited, but you had to be able to do certain things to get there, like raise money. And I was able to raise money for the organization. That was kind of unique. So I rose through the ranks of that organization. And if it was happening, I was ignorant to it because I could perform like a man, meaning I, I could do all of the same things that men in leadership did. And I had a great female mentor. I, I may just be ignorant or protected somehow, but I don't really have any stories. I do in other areas of my life, like I'm a musician, I'm a drummer, and there are still very few women who are professional drummers. So I've gotten lots of weird looks and like girls can't do that and women don't play the drums, but nothing in my religious work. I had attended a Jerusalem Gay Pride event and it ends at the Knesset. Right, right by the Knesset, the Congress, the Israeli Congress. And to get there is a long, dark path. No street lights. I'm coming back and two gentlemen confronted me, told me to take off my kippah, told me that it was a sore, it was forbidden for me. What right did I have to protest? What right did I have to to exist, basically. At first, I tried to engage with them and say, you know, it actually doesn't say that in the Torah. It actually doesn't say that anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, just let me, just let me pass. It, mm. it was, yeah, that was scary. That was really scary. Physical endangerment. And that was in Israel. That was in Israel. How are you received in America? It, well, in the United States, nobody knows what this is. So, on a woman. So they just tell me, oh, I like your hat. I'm received way better by everyone except those who are extremely um, observant. None of them, of course, would threaten me, but it is hard to get recognized as a rabbi. I think you bring up a good point, you know, pointing things out in the Torah or scriptures. What scripture supports you or what part of the Torah supports you as a woman or as an ordained leader? I think for Christians, if you look at the whole witness of Holy Scriptures, so the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, the New Testament, it's clear women have always had roles of leadership in the church. I mean, you think about um, just looking at the New Testament, Mary. We get Jesus through a woman's human experience, and, and Mary shows us how to follow Jesus. She is the first disciple. She is, in many ways, the priest. I mean. 
Did her body not break so Jesus's could break, right? Did she not feed him so he could feed us? Did she not, you know, have the Oren's position whenever she was, you know, pregnant with him saying, yes, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Women had huge roles, like in Corinth, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Chloe's people, they're mentioned, right? She was the leader of a house church. Whether or not there have been uh, stained glass ceilings, as we say in the church, that, it, that they've had to like bust open, they've still been who they were called to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We have a whole cloud of witnesses, the mystical body of Christ, who is in heaven and who is here present, who continue to cheer women on. You make me want to stay a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, that was a beautiful, explanation of the scriptures. Th thank you for that. I'm going to come to your church. <laughs> You're busy. <laughs> I am a little busy, but I, I'm going to ask you to preach. <laughs> really, Liz, that's beautiful. Thank you for all of that. First of all, I just echo and applaud everything Liz said. Jesus' utter respect and openness to women. I mean, all over the gospel stories, beginning with a woman at the well in John chapter 4, he treated her like an equal. He had a theological conversation with this woman while his disciples are going, what the hell are you doing? And he just ignored them. For, for him, she was a human being, an intelligent human being that he wanted to have a conversation with and invite her into something bigger, invite her into something that was more full of love than what she had experienced. So if all of that is the case, then why are there some Christian religions that don't allow women to be ordained and don't allow women to really be in leadership positions. And I believe that there are some that advocate that the woman is subservient to the man, etc. So, you know, in the first century, women were still pretty much considered the possession of men, but Jesus did not treat women that way. Paul didn't either. So I think even of the Syrophoenician woman who comes to him and refuses to be sent away by him. And uh, he allows it and, and ends up giving her exactly what she asked for. And again, treating her with respect that was unknown in the first century. So I, I think ordination follows being human. So his first take was Rabbi Jesus treated women with love and respect and as though they were equal with men. For him, there was equity between women and men, and he wanted us to understand that and live that now. So he was on the same level with them. And he had to dance around a first century that did not allow for that. But I think he set, he set the road for us as women, as men, as non-binary humans. In Genesis, I think it's chapter 1, 23, the claim is, is made, and it's so odd. It's, let's make man human in our image, male and female. So it doesn't seem to differentiate or place emphasis on one or the other. Whatever is asking for this, it's done. That it's male and female. So. I think from there, um, being in the image of something that's divine and not being excluded gives me permission to go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>